Welcome into NBA Sound System. I am Gil McGregor riding solo this week. Scott Rafferty will be back with us next week. I guess you could say I'm kind of riding solo this week because later on uh, we'll have a special conversation that I recently had with 12-year NBA veteran and current NBA G League president Sharif Abdur Rahim talked a lot about the G League, G League Ignite, and a lot of things to look forward to in this year's G League season, which honestly, there is a lot that basketball fans should be excited about in the G League. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But of course, we have to go back and then look at the week that was in the NBA and what it means moving forward because there is a lot going on in the NBA. And when I say there's a lot going on, I have to start in the place where the most is going on, and that is in Brooklyn, New York, with the Nets franchise. Their week started with the firing of Steve Nash. He was into his third year as head coach um, and dealt uh, a pretty tough hand, uh, whether it's the availability of the stars between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, James Harden's trade request last season. Um, it was a difficult job for a guy who uh, his reputation definitely spoke for itself as a player. Two-time MVP, uh, named to the NBA's 75th anniversary team. But um, that did not help him as far as getting the locker room. And I, and I don't think that it was all on Nash. I think that he had a difficult job. A, a lot of personalities in that locker room, a lot to deal with with the Nets and, and did experience some success. You can look back to 2021 and if Kevin Durant's toe isn't on the line, we might not be even having this conversation about Steve Nash, who leaves his post as head coach of the Nets with a 94-67 and 67 record. So uh, over time, it will look very interesting that he and the franchise decided to part ways from one another, even though he had such an impressive winning record. But obviously, it's much more than records. Now, Jacques Vaughn, who was on Nash's staff as associate head coach or assistant head coach, one of the two, is now the acting head coach in the interim, but don't know if that's the long-term solution. There have been reports indicating that the Nets have keyed in on suspended Celtics head coach Ime Udoka, who the Celtics are said to be willing to let go and move on to Brooklyn without asking for any type of compensation, no coaches trade, anything like that. But Later reports have said that the Nets maybe have some reservations about bringing Udoka in, given the nature of his suspension, the violation of team policies. It is a Celtics franchise suspension, meaning that if he would be hired away, that suspension would be lifted and he could go straight to the sidelines in Brooklyn. He was in Brooklyn uh, during the 2020-21 season, so he was on the sideline when Kevin Durant's toe was on the line, and there are reports that Kevin Durant prefers to have M.A. Udoka on the sidelines as the Nets head coach. So there's a lot to be sorted out there, but... If he were to take that job, he does have familiarity with Durant and other members of that franchise. He coached Patty Mills in San Antonio. He also worked with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. So we'll see if the Nets end up going that direction. But that started a busy week for the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, the week continued and they suspended Kyrie Irving for at least five games from the franchise. A lot was going on with Irving, but the last straw per the Nets was because Irving 
refused to unequivocally say that he has no anti-Semitic beliefs when given multiple opportunities to say so at a press conference during a media scrum following a Nets practice and the suspension quickly came down. Now, Irving took to Instagram later on that evening and issued an apology. There's reporting from the athletic Shamsharania that a formal apology and a condemnation of anti-Semitic beliefs and hate speech is the first step towards Kyrie returning to the floor for the Nets. Apparently, there's a six-step program that he has to take in order to get back on the floor because, again, the suspension is a minimum of five games, and the first two games without Kyrie, the Nets won on back-to-back nights. Don't know if that's sustainable. Obviously, he, again, his talent speaks for himself, but uh, as Nets owner Joe Sy said, these issues are bigger than basketball, so we will see if and when Kyrie returns to the floor for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, elsewhere around the league, there are some good stories. There's some things that are going on that are on the positive side. Some teams are staying hot. The Cleveland Cavaliers, after losing on opening night, have been amazing. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland is back in action, and the, the Cavs are clicking right away. We talked a lot about Donovan Mitchell, and, and if his play is sustainable. Well, so far, so good. I think the Cavs are excited about the now and the future because they have so many young guys on that team. You talk about young guys, talk about young talent. Luka Doncic is another guy we talked about, Scott and I, last week. His hot tear to the season continues. Luka Doncic is still just scoring at an extremely high rate. I'm sure it will it will slow down at some point, but he's starting to find that jumper, which is what we alluded to last week, which is scary for the rest of the league. And the Mavs are staying uh, competitive because of Luka, and they're winning games because of Luka. And you talk about winning games, I have to talk about the Utah Jazz. We shouted them out a few weeks ago, and I think we have to kind of come to uh, the realization that this Jazz team is a solid basketball team. They're not winning games by mistake. You talk about guys like Mike Conley, who's a veteran. Um, Lowry Markin's having a career year. Kelly Olynyk's playing extremely well. Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton's a competitor. They have so many guys, and they're finding ways to win basketball games. Who knows if they end up having a fire sale and these guys are playing up their value or their trade value because so many people thought that this Jazz team was coming in to the season planning the tank and build for the future but it looks like you know we're, we're getting into this point in the year in which the sample size as we talked about so much the small sample size is getting larger and you might be okay saying that the jazz are a solid if not even stronger and saying they're a good basketball team again who knows how long it will last but the jazz are hot now some teams are not the lakers still have not figured it out they used a miraculous shot from Matt Ryan to get an overtime win over the Pelicans, but they're still struggling. Now LeBron James is dealing with some injury issues, some foot soreness. He's been on uh, the injury report throughout the season, but he's, he's starting to miss time because of it. So who knows what that means for him in year 20. We know LeBron's not getting any younger. He's still producing at a high level, but the Lakers are not winning ball games. And, and who knows what will happen uh, for the Lakers as they continue to search answers. And speaking of searching answers, you travel a few hours north in California and the Golden State Warriors are still in search of answers. I think they're the first defending champions to lose each of their first six games on the road. They We, we talked about it. They're trying to get their young guys integrated, but it's really not translating the wins for the Warriors right now. I think um, you know we talked about their ability to maybe flip a switch, but it, it seems like uh, they're, they're 
they're looking for the answers needed to flip that switch first. So we'll see if the Warriors are able to turn it around, but it's certainly not been a good start to the season for the defending champs. Now, back on the bad news, uh, a few tough ones uh, on the ouch beat, a couple injuries that will probably uh, impact the Scope of the NBA, starting with James Harden. Uh, the Sixers were trying to find answers, and, and Joel Embiid was missing some time with a non-COVID illness. And then it's announced James Harden's going to miss about a month uh, with a foot injury. So not good timing for the Sixers. They stumbled out of the gates. You know, Doc Rivers uh, probably on the hot seat in Philadelphia, and now they are without their former MVP, all-star guard, Tyrese Maxey has been playing well this year, but it might be a little bit too much to ask of him at this stage in his career, especially given the ways in which this team was built to Harden and Embiid's strengths. And Maxey is the third member of that big three, but you know, without a key piece of that three-man rotation, uh, the Sixers could still be stumbling and you get into the the, the second or third month of the year and the Sixers are going to be playing catch-up. So uh, this injury looms large for a Philadelphia team that already was searching for answers. It just makes things much more complicated. And then up north, Pascal Siakam slips uh, while the Raptors were in Dallas taking on the Mavericks. Strained groin. He has a history of groin issues, and Pascal Siakam was playing extremely good basketball. Um, He's going to miss a minimum of two weeks, and it's worth keeping an eye on that because of his injury history that I mentioned. The Raptors are going to have to try and find ways to survive. They they had a rough, rough start to the season schedule-wise. They're able to, to, to find ways to win games, um, but they had you know trips to Miami to take on the Heat. Uh, they played the Nets on the road, uh, went to Dallas, the game that Siakam was injured. So they're coming into a softer spot of that schedule. I actually wrote about it over on NBA Canada, so you can check that out. Uh, the Raptors are trying to find a way to stay afloat without their best player, so they're going to have to look towards all-star guard Fred Van Vliet as well as the Rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes, who can make that sophomore leap. And OG Ananobi is playing great defense, really just stealing everything, leading the league in steals, and I think shooting above 40% from three-point, at least for now. It's early in the year. We'll see if that's sustainable. But Micah Adams over at NBA Canada has something about the the special start to OG Ananobi's season. And if there's any team that can rally around missing their best player is the Toronto Raptors. So we will see how they can rally around uh, the loss of Pascal Siakam for at least two weeks. And the big one out in Phoenix, Cam Johnson tore meniscus, um, underwent surgery to repair his meniscus, and the team says he's out until further notice. So there is no idea on whether or not um, he had a meniscectomy or a, a smaller procedure because depending on what you have done, on your meniscus, that is where uh, how much time you miss. Some guys miss four to eight weeks. Some guys miss four to eight months. We saw Robert Williams come back soon after having a small meniscus procedure, and now we feel like he's probably um, feeling that the after effects of that. Now he still hasn't suited up for the Celtics this season, so it can be tricky. Cam Johnson is still a relatively young player, so you would think the Suns take um, the cautious approach with him. And now the Jay Crowder situation also looms large for Phoenix. He requested a trade because they were going to replace him in the starting lineup with Cam Johnson. He's been away from the team since before training camp. And and you, you wonder if they're going to try to mend that and get 
Jay Crowder back out there to Phoenix because they now have a huge, huge, huge void uh, left by Cam Johnson, especially not knowing how long he's going to be out. The Suns are coming off of a year in which they had the league's best record and then um, flat out got embarrassed in the second round of the playoffs by Luka Doncic and the Mavs who sent the Suns packing home early. So we'll see what happens there. Now, Leading into uh, the, the the interview with Rashif Abdurrahim, um, you know, again mentioned last week, uh, the NBA G League season got underway. A lot of big things going on in this G League season, um, whether it's the G League Ignite Pathway program led by Scoot Henderson, who many believe will be the number two pick in the 2023 NBA draft. There is a team in Mexico City who will be fully integrated in the league. Um, and there are some things that the G League does uh, that really how they experiment uh, with rules. We've seen things that they've tried in the G League eventually make their way to the NBA. So I talked about all of that and more with Sharif Abdurrahim. Great conversation. It's always good to talk you know, to an icon, uh, number three pick by the Vancouver Grizzlies some time ago. Uh, we also talked about his time in Vancouver and his love for the city as well. So without further ado, uh, we'll pass it off to myself and my interview and the conversation that I was able to have with Sharif Abdurrahim. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as I enjoy talking to Sharif. Gil McGregor here, joined by Sharif Abdurrahim, former number three overall pick, 12-year NBA veteran, and now the president of the NBA G League. First of all, thank you for your time. Appreciate you joining. Gil, thank you for having me. Now, the NBA season is upon us, and it's crazy because it feels like it's impossible to watch an NBA game without seeing uh, an NBA G League alum make their impact felt. And, and it's honestly because it's true. Uh, I was looking at the numbers on opening night, almost 50% of the players in the league um, have G League experience. I think the number was 234 players. So from your, your viewpoint, um, you know, as the president of the league, what does that say just about what's going on in the G League and the ways in which each league benefit from one another? Well, I think it just speaks to the, the um, level of talent, obviously, in the G League. Um, just a lot of really good players. Um, it, it speaks to the, the investment in the G League from the NBA and NBA teams, the integration. Um, yeah, I think the proof of concept that players you know, see the G League as a step towards continuing their journey um, and, and to, to make it to the NBA um, and just how important um, the G League has become to the overall ecosystem. You know, now all of the, the NBA officials, I think we had three or four NBA officials that were called or, or signed into the NBA. All of the NBA officials that graduate to the NBA start in the G League. Uh, we have six head coaches uh, now with uh, G League experience that were once G League head coaches in the NBA on, on lead NBA teams. And then, you know, something, some 50 or 60 assistants that sit on, on NBA benches that have G League experience. So just the, the impact across the overall ecosystem, you know, continues to grow and, and we continue to be uh, a huge part of that. You know, Growth, I think, is a, a big part of what you've talked about. And I think you know, the 22-23 season in the G League is, is upon us as well. And I think we're coming up on four years since you accepting your post um, as the president of the league. And in that time, you, like everyone else, have had to navigate a pandemic, um, playing in a bubble, 
and all these things have happened, but the league is still growing. So, so how? I guess is the question. What, what, what way is it? How does the league continue to push forward despite the obstacles you know coming your way? Whether it's you know the expansion um, and and additions of things and and the ways in which the league continues to evolve so that it can continue to feed players into the league and feed officials and coaches in the way that it has. Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I you know acknowledge the support we receive or the connection we have to the NBA. Um, you know, it'd be hard to imagine getting through, um, you know, the pandemic the last two and a half years without that connection, the connection to our teams. And then a lot of, you know, what we, you know, have been able to accomplish were, were you know, initiatives that were in, in play or we had been working on prior to um, the pandemic. And I just, I would just say we just took a mindset that we, you know, they were too important to, to stop and, you know, be it, you know, playing in a bubble where, you know, our players needed to be able to continue to develop and grow and be a part of that system. Last season, being restricted and not being able to play um, totally free, same thing, players, people need to work. We had to keep going. We started Ignite, you know, those play, our players from Ignite, that's, you know, such an important, uh, important initiative for us. Wanted to keep going. Capitanes is, you know, Mexico City is a long time coming. So, so much, you know, we had been, you know, planning and working that, you know, we just did not um, want or, you know, allow um, just the challenges to prevent us from continuing to grow. And, um, you know, we're excited about where we, you know, where we sit now. We start the season 22, 23, like you said, you know, close to 50% of NBA players still with G League experience. We start this season with 30 teams. Um, you know, that includes Ignite, that includes um, Capitanas. We're the first league, um, professional league in North America to have a team from Mexico City playing completely in our season. Uh, so just, you know, so much to, to be excited for and, and um, you know, looking forward to, optimistic about as it relates to the G League. You know, I, I want to focus in a little more on uh, Ignite specifically. Um, there was an awesome showcase in, in Vegas in early October to get a chance to look uh, at the team going against Victor Wimbanyama and, and Metropolitan's 92. But um, the success is in the results with eight G, uh, G League Ignite alums on NBA rosters to start the season, you know, from, from Jalen Green, uh, you know, to Jonathan Kaminga and now Marjan Bochamp and, and Jaden Hardy, those guys like that. Um, so, so looking at, at how that program has really um, developed fr from its inception um, and, and looking kind of across the board, just, just from the, the prospects that you choose to, to play to the veterans um, that are there and even someone like Mara Rudolph, who's been amazing to work with. We've worked with her um, as well, just having access to that team. What has gone into the ways in which you have chosen to um, kind of, I, I guess, develop this program um, and choose the people that have been a part of it, as well as the coaches and the people tasked to be in charge and develop these young players? Yeah, well, the, the focus, first and foremost, is to create an environment um, that, you know, takes care of the players, that's conducive to, you know, players growing and being empowered and learning and getting a glimpse of um, professional life. Um, continuing to, to further their, you know, professional careers in the case of the veteran players, um, you know, growing as coaches, growing as people. So that, you know, we just, we start with that, you know, that thought, that mission. And, you know, with that, you know, I think, you know, everything else um, take, care of, take care of itself. And, you know, the 
player development, that's, you know, what we do as a league. You know, we have 20 plus years as a league of, of doing that. Um, and then beyond the program and, you know, the needs of the players, because there's a younger demographic of players, that continues to evolve. You know, it's, you know, players coming from different parts of the world now. And, you know, you look at Dyson Daniels and, you know, this year, um, you know, players, players like Mojave King, um, you know, Baba Carcene, who we um, announced yesterday. Like, so that, you know, the needs of the players and, you know, how integrated the team is into the G League. Um, See, so all of that continues to evolve and we just continue to, to learn and, and try to do better. But first and foremost, we want to always have, have an environment, have a structure that's, you know, about supporting the growth and empowerment of, of players. Now, you, you mentioned the growth and empowerment, and really the, the landscape is, is evolving for the pathways to, to make it to the league. And I know there are other uh, pathways alternative to college for, for young prospects. I don't want to call it competition, but but is there a, a way that you kind of look at it? And I know a lot of times you run your own race. Is that kind of the approach when, when thinking about vying for these prospects and, and getting them to be in the G League Ignite program and making that choice as far as making it, you know, the, the next leap to, to becoming professionals? Yeah, I, I think, I don't, I don't think we, we never thought of it as like, you know, having competition against, you know, any other choice, right? I think the, the you know, like the impetus of Ignite from the very beginning was that uh, there should be with everything that was going on in the in the landscape. There should be an option for you know young men that wanted something different uh, ahead of playing in the NBA, and you know that's the you know that's kind of the mindset that we started with, um, and and it continues to be that. And you know I don't you know I don't think we had, you know from a league standpoint we're not competing with anyone else. You you see the diverse talent that comes from around the world. I think. There's enough opportunity for everybody to grow and develop. For young people, you know, if they choose Ignite and they think Ignite or the G League is the right path for them to, to grow and develop, that's awesome. If they choose, a you know, another route, like that's great too. Uh, you know, 50% of NBA players with G League experience, you know, it's a good chance, you know, they're going to, you know, play in our league at some point. <laughs> so, you know, we, we're, we're excited, you know, that, to just have those connections. Now, to widen the lens back out to, to the rest of the league, um, you know, you mentioned earlier there are 30 teams, um, two are unaffiliated, the Capitanes and, and G League Ignite, and then there are two NBA teams who are without uh, a direct G League affiliate. When you're looking forward as far as continued growth of the league, is, is you know, every NBA team having their own affiliate a next step of the growth? Is it more visibility of the league? What is it um, that the league is eyeing as far as next steps towards growing the league, continuing to evolve as the landscape evolves and as the game evolves? Yeah, 30 for 30 has, you know, having 30 teams connected to NBA teams has, has been our, you know, goal for a while. Um, you know, I think it's inevitable that we get there. Um, you know, the things that we, you know, and I, you know, those, the Portland and uh, Phoenix are the two teams without um, G League teams currently. And, you know, they're working, you know, on, on their, you know, time, kind of their timetable, um, where we, you know, kind of spend a, the, the large majority of our time is thinking of how we continue to um, provide exposure to the league, to our players, how we grow awareness. Um, you know, we continue to have more, you know, nationally televised games, 
than than we have. I think we you know twenty plus on on ESPN this past the past season, thirty plus on NBA TV, um, another two hundred or so across the ESPN networks. Um, you know, you mentioned the the Metropolitan '92 games and Ignite. You know, those games. Um, you know, we're you know live on ESPN two, streamed on the NBA app. You know, you know went around the world. So where we spend a lot of our time is continuing to just educate fans and bring fans in uh, to um, the G League game and our players. Um, and, and you know that's what's you know kind of the, the most important thing. But you know obviously we get you know a lot of calls about you know other markets outside of you know markets connected to NBA teams that you know have interest in in the G League and you know we're just not in that um, probably that mindset currently but you know at some point it'll be even the right time for that. You know you mentioned that a little bit I know you said not in the mindset currently but you know this is my fifth season writing for NBA Canada and I mentioned you were the third overall pick and that was by the Vancouver Grizzlies some time ago, um, and you are one of, if not the most iconic uh, player from the Vancouver Grizzlies era. So I just want to ask you to speak a little bit about your time there, uh, and if potentially, you know, there could be basketball returning there. There's any any thought about the Pacific Northwest uh, receiving basketball, or maybe Canada outside of uh, the 905. Yeah, well, um, you know, one, I, I love Vancouver. You know, I still try to go back. Um, it was a great time for me, great education for me, um, the culture of um, Vancouver, the different people I met. It was just a wonderful time. Like I was really, I was young, a young man. I spent five years there. So just as a city, um, fantastic and love it. Um, you know, I've witnessed basketball, you know, really blossom there over the, over the last 20 years and throughout Canada. Um, you know, I think the, the, you know, kind of Toronto, Ontario area, gets a lot of the, you know, attention and, and understandably so, but I think, you know, basketball in Western Canada and the, you know, BC area has also grown a great deal and you've seen players come out of here and you've seen the interest around the NBA and around basketball uh, continue to grow. So I think I think it's a great basketball market, um, you know, and, you know, I don't know if the NBA is in the future, you know, you know maybe the, the G League could be in the future, um, but I think it's a great a great basketball market and you know one of the you know in my opinion one of the better um, cities in North America as we wrap up here I know like I said that the season is pretty much upon us and one thing that I've really enjoyed about the G League especially in recent years is that a lot of the the rules and experimentation that's going on in the G League we eventually see applied uh, to the NBA so as you look forward uh, to the upcoming season is there anything that fans should be on the lookout for whether it is something having to do with experimentation or just the abundance of talent in the league the full seasons uh, by the Capitanes and, and, and G League Ignite what is it that uh, people should be on the lookout for uh, as the G League season gets underway yeah well well there's always is always our talent you know so much talent is going to be um, you know a story a player that you know people had no um, awareness of you know you, you think of like a Craig Randall who was literally like a you know like an open tryout player you know didn't have a home and you know played two outstanding seasons with the, the Long Island Nets and you know kind of came came popular recently because he you know went and had you know an outstanding game against the Phoenix Suns during the preseason but you know he's a G League um, alum so it'll you know I think you gotta 
kind of look out for for the talent always. And then, you know, for us, it's, you know, Capitan is being fully integrated, Ignite being fully integrated. Um, the second year that we'll have our Showcase Cup during the Winter Showcase, so first portion of our season, tournament style. So we'll, you know, we have a $100,000 prize to the team that wins that. So that's exciting. And then you're right about the rules. We've been testing rules through the G League. Uh, one really you know cool element we're going to try this year is every all of our overtimes this year will have a target score okay um, you know so you know we saw that somewhat in the in, in the all-star all right. game a couple years ago so we have a target score through all G League overtime games and then our winner showcase the 30 plus games or so at winner showcase every game fourth quarter and overtime will have a target score so that's something yeah, you know that, that's something really different right so uh and we want to keep doing that you know kind of innovation and being creative is like in the in the lifeblood of of the g league absolutely absolutely well thanks again for for, for chatting with us i really appreciate it got some great insight on uh, what to look forward to this upcoming uh g league season and and honestly i'm very excited about the target scores and things of that nature so i'll be on lookout for that as should everybody else so there you have it. It's going to be a big year for the NBA G League. The league continues to grow as Sharif Abdurrahim spoke about. And it's exciting to see because there is so much talent and, and you see it night by night uh, in the NBA. I talked about Pascal Siakam earlier. He's a guy who really um, became the player that he is thanks in large part to what he was able to do uh, in the NBA G League. Went from being a, a G League Finals MVP to a key uh, contributor to an NBA Finals team. And there's so many guys. I can say the same thing about Jordan Poole. Um, the, the long list of G League alumni in the NBA on the floor, but also on the sidelines and officiating games as well. So the G League um, continues to grow and continues to be a major part of of the NBA. And of course, we cover everything NBA on NBA Sound System. So thanks again for tuning in weekly. Again, we'll be back here and I'll have Scott with me again same time next week. So really appreciate all out there that have subscribed to NBA Sound System. And if you have not already, please do wherever you get your podcast. Each time these release, they will drop right into your feed. You can keep up with everything that is going on in the league. I'm Gil McGregor. Again, thanks for tuning in to NBA Sound System, and we'll catch you next week.